Good physics day, everyone. Biomimicry is a practice that learns from and mimics the strategies found in nature to solve human design challenges and find hope along the way. This is the introduction on the Biomimicry Institute's website. The goal of biomimicry, the site continues, is to create products, processes, and policies, new ways of living, that solve our greatest design challenges sustainably and in solidarity with all life on Earth. That sounds great, but... Isn't this podcast called Physics Alive, not Biology Alive? Yes, and I say that biomimicry is just as much physics and engineering as it is biology. Plus, it's solving real challenges in our world while also encouraging entrepreneurship. So sit back, unless you're washing dishes, then you should probably keep standing, and find out how bringing biomimicry into the classroom can bring physics alive. Welcome to Physics Alive! I'm Brad Moser, and I want to help fellow educators spark new life into the physics classroom. Each episode, I'll draw inspiration from the teachers, researchers, students, and professionals who explore innovative learning, motivate new curricula, apply physics in their careers, and encourage an inclusive and healthy classroom environment. Today, I want to explore a really cool topic, the intersection of biology, physics, engineering, and solutions. Solutions in the form of products and designs and solutions to global challenges. Biomimicry. Biomimicry is the practice of applying lessons from nature to the invention of healthier, more sustainable technologies for people. Biomimetic designers focus on understanding, learning from, and emulating the strategies used by living things. With biomimicry, we can develop new products, processes, and systems, or improve existing designs. So today, I'm talking with two staff members from the Biomimicry Institute, Rosanna Ayers, Director of Youth Education, and Michelle Graves, Director of the Global Design and Launchpad Programs. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks so much for talking with me today. Hi. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having us. This is Rosanna. I'm really excited to be here and excited to talk about what's happening in biomimicry in classrooms and really get into the nitty gritty about some of those intersections you were talking about. Yeah, hi Brad, thanks so much for having us here. This is Michelle Graves and also like Rosanna, looking forward to chatting with you today. Thank you. So you heard my introduction for biomimicry. Would either of you like to expand on that? I like to have people remember that the practice of biomimicry is essentially based on two things, sort of this recognition of the scope of the environmental and social problems that we're currently facing. And also, we believe we have a knowledge that there is a wealth of blueprints for how to fix those problems already out in the natural world. And our job is just to learn from organisms, ecosystems. We feel like we're at a really pivotal time in history and we see biomimicry as a pretty powerful tool for innovation because looking closely at ecosystems, at organisms can give you a new perspective on what's even possible rather than looking at our existing human designs and just improving incrementally. I, I think everything that Michelle said really, really starts to paint this beautiful narrative of what biomimicry might be. And it's important to know it's an em emerging discipline. So the practice of biomimicry is, of course, it's rooted in history and indigenous cultures have always done this, but it's, it's kind of re-emerging now as a practice that has the potential to really um, reinvent how we invent. 
So like Michelle said, it, we're going from learning about nature to learning from nature, like literally going outside and sitting under a tree and spending time to listen and watch close observation. You know, a lot of people are, they don't understand the wealth of knowledge that you can gain from watching uh, an animal uh, do something, right? There maybe there's a bird in a tree struggling to get something done and we're on the ground struggling to get into our car with our car keys and the struggles are different, but they're both still important. <laughs> I've recently heard that it's only been within the last couple of hundred years, honestly, that humans stopped looking to nature for design inspiration. If you go back and think about da Vinci, for example, one of our most famous inventors and designers, so much of what he did uh, was derived from observation of the natural world. So we're really sort of reconnecting, as Rosanna said, with um, practices that humans have, have used for millennia. Yeah, in the last few hundred years, it seems we've gone in a, the, the negative direction of it's like we're we're still using nature, but we're extracting from it. We're we're taking its resources and thinking that they're all ours, rather than instead being inspired by the solutions it has come up with and trying to mimic that. So rather than taking everything from the earth, taking just taking maybe the ideas. I think it's definitely easier to grasp what biomimicry is all about by hearing some examples. So would you be willing to share a few case studies, maybe an older classic one, like the, the Kingfisher, that one's, uh, since my logo is that my audience could get a little backstory and then maybe some more recent examples. I can definitely, um, chat a little bit about that. So I think the, the Kingfisher is one of the classic examples of biomimicry. And uh, some of your listeners may have heard of the Shinkansen bullet train um, in Japan and how one of the project engineers who was working on this, when the, when the train was first uh, rolled out, they discovered that it was incredibly loud. As the train emerged from a tunnel, um, it was pushing a sound wave, a sonic wave in front of it. Residents in the neighborhood would hear almost a sonic boom. This clearly was not going to work long term. Um, and so this project engineer was actually a bird watcher. And through the process of observing kingfishers and the way they hunt, and the fact that they move from air into water, barely disrupting the surface of the water, that kind of sparked an idea in him. They're moving between two different um, phases, so from a gas to a liquid, minimal disturbance, and he wondered if he could apply that to the, the train. So the shape of a kingfisher's beak is very long and pointed. They remodeled the, the nose of the bullet train um, to have this shape. They went through several iterations, and ultimately, um, there was an enormous reduction in the noise. They also found that it was more energy efficient. So that was a win. So that's one of the, the classic examples of biomimicry. There are a couple others that I'd love to share quickly. And, and I will say that my background is uh, I have a degree in marine biology. So I love some of the ones that come from um, marine organisms. Mm -hmm. Recently, we had a, a startup that participated in one of our prize programs um, called Helicoid Industries. And they have actually taken their inspiration from a creature called a mantis shrimp. Um, researchers at UC Riverside have been studying these mantis shrimp for a decade. 
And mantis shrimp are pretty cool. There are two different varieties. They call them the smashers and the slashers. And the <laughs> smashers, um, they're dactyl clubs, basically their forearms. They use those to punch their prey and they're able to smash a clamshell or they the that punch is uh, as fast as a 22 caliber bullet. So they actually cavitate, almost boil the water around that punch. And the clubs suffer no damage, right? Like you'd think that repeated punching activity would cause the clubs to shatter. So these these researchers at UC Riverside looked at the the material that the clubs were made of, and it's just chitin. It's the same as the exoskeleton of almost all of all crustaceans. But what they found when they looked at the structure of it under uh, electron microscopes was that it has a very unique pattern. The chitin is laid down in uh, sort of a helicoid pattern. So each layer is offset by about 15 degrees. And it's this company, Helicoid Industries, is actually taking that helicoid architecture and applying it to carbon fiber and composite materials. And they're getting, uh, they're able to lightweight, big savings in how much raw material is used. So there are manufacturing wins. And they think that they can apply this technology to wind turbines, being able to build them longer blades, lighter weight, and maybe even use it in the um, construction of aircraft. So anything you could use carbon fiber for, this technology would apply and have a big um, sustainability win in the reduction of materials used. The mantis shrimp keeps coming up for me. Uh, I actually was interviewed on another podcast called Go Forth in Science, and she was asking me about a lot of questions about light. And the mantis shrimp came up along the way because of how many uh, rods or cones are in the eye and that it can see ultraviolet and polarization and all that sort of fun stuff. I'm almost thinking maybe I need a secondary logo, the mantis shrimp. Uh, I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> Plus they're beautiful. The peacock mantis shrimp in particular is a beautiful organism. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the, the mission of the Biomimicry Institute? Uh, so the purpose of the Biomimicry Institute is to naturalize biomimicry in the culture by promoting the transfer of ideas, designs, and strategies from biology to sustainable human systems design. Our mission is to get as many people to think in this way as we can. We have challenges for people who are out in industry, the startups, which was Michelle was talking about that earlier. We have the challenges for uh, people who are at universities, um, and we also have challenges for students who are in high school and middle school. So at all levels, we really want to engage with people who are learning and then also those who are already, they're out in their field, they're starting in their career. And as they create in their career, we want them to really look at the possibilities for that creation in a completely new way. Well, let's try to dive into a few of those challenges then just to get kind of a sense of what that looks like. So, uh, Rosanna, the Biomimicry Institute website says that you direct the Youth Design Challenge and the development of resources and programs to support educator interactions with the Institute. So let's say a teacher gets excited to introduce a, the topic of biomimicry in their science classroom. Where are some places that they could get started? Do you have activities or projects that you recommend? Is, is the Youth Design Challenge sort of related to that? Oh, yes, absolutely. 
So our Youth Design Challenge are for high school students and it's for middle school students as well. Uh, we started out this last program cycle. Registration was open August of uh, 2020, and that goes, it mimics the school year. So it always started at the beginning of the school year with the last registrations being due in about April and then judging um, in May. So of course, middle schoolers and, and high schoolers aren't competing against one another. It's different categories, but they can all compete at that level. So six through eighth grade, and then ninth through 12th. So middle school is one category and high school is the other. So if there are any educators out there who feel like they'd want um, to take a team through, we call them coaches. So there's a coach's handbook. Uh, you can read all about the timeline and you can take a team of students or just individually students can go through the program as well. You just get on uh, biomimicry.org and look for a youth design challenge. There are a few questions. Uh, we really love to understand who out there is using our resources and, and thinking about the program and using the program. You don't have to do the complete challenge. It's a competition, so you don't have to do the challenge. You could just uh, get in there, look at the curriculum and use it with some students. So that's another option. Of course, we want, mm -hmm. we want the students to have that experience of going all the way through the challenge and seeing yeah. um, what their ideas look like against um, others who are also doing biomimicry, but if they just really want to explore the possibilities and, and kind of use the curriculum and um, enjoy themselves and they're not ready to compete, then that's available, freely available to everyone. And we do have, um, we have of course, nationally, we have teams competing, you know, teams of up to three in one team. And then also internationally, we have a lot of, we have an audience that looks at it. They don't, they don't compete in the same uh, challenge, but they're welcome to look at the curriculum and use it with their students. So what was an example of what the a winning team's contribution looked like recently? For our, um, for our last year, and you didn't ask that, Brad, <laughs> we, <laughs> um, we had a student design that was a moist brick that was really looking to um, help keep temperatures cool um, inside of a building. So they had this um, moist brick that they designed that had a, a more concave shape and had these little uh, hairs that stick out. They look like hairs. I wish you could see the, the image of it, but all of the the student designs are on our website. And so we have a gallery of past winners and they have uh, videos posted. So the students are actually talking through their design. So of course, um, and I can just tell you a little bit about the, the problems was uh, climate change because right now the youth design challenge is positioned around mitigations for climate change. In the future, it's gonna be, um, a little bit more open as far as using all of the UN sustainable goals. It'll have a little bit more flexibility around those so that a team uh, might be able to use any portion of those to build their design. But for this year, it was around climate change. So that is, was a really nice student group. And again, like the video pitch and all that is, is available. And it's really, um, it's nice to see students, you know, people, people forget, and even in education, we forget that the things that are happening to us are also happening to our children, right? It's happening to everyone at the same time. So we as adults sometimes aren't sure what we can do and how we can engage to make these positive changes. So we're hoping that people will see the youth design um, challenge as a way for students to become involved and feel like they are making a difference because it does make it, it does make a difference, mm -hmm. you know, even them just thinking deeply about it and understanding that, yes, this is a, 
huge global issue, but there are components of it that we can address in our everyday lives. And so I think that's the, the purpose of all the challenges, really. For my show notes page, I will definitely put up some links to, to those and maybe include some of those pictures so that folks can take a look at it. I think that's going to be a picture will be worth a thousand words in some of these. Uh, so I definitely <laughs> want to show those. <laughs> so since you're connected with the, with the high school uh, teacher audience, uh, can you highlight the places where biomimicry connects with the next generation science standards? You know, we've had a really nice following from high school teachers who have some um, flexibility in their course design. However, of course, we still want to make sure that those alignments to the next generation science standards are clearly seen. And so we have some um, in the disciplinary core idea that are connected to life science. So I'll tell you a few. So there's some strong connections for um, structure and function, uh, adaptation, human impacts on earth systems, and of course, global climate change. And that, again, is in the disciplinary core ideas is where those connections live. And we can't forget anything that has to do with engineering, design, engineering tech, uh, technology, and uh, designing solutions. That's a really strong connection. And as far as the practices, so the things that engineers do and scientists do in the field, you know, developing and using models, you know, back to this moist brick um, application those students had to go through several iterations of their um, design as they were looking at a solution that would help with that climate mitigation. And so um, as you're looking for ways in the classroom to make sure that your students are building an authentic design, right? There's, there's a way that you can do a design or make a design for students that doesn't feel authentic because they're not making changes based on or in response to the research they might just be doing it because the teacher educator told them to do it. Well, in this case, they're, they're developing and using those models is in response to the information that they're getting about nature and how nature works. Uh, you name it, really, we feel like our challenge has it. <laughs> Embedded <laughs> in the process, the students talking with one another, challenging one another, even um, looking at digital literacy, which is something that we you know, wouldn't necessarily see a clear connection to, but as the students are going through and evaluating the information that they're using on the iterations of their design, there's an opportunity for high school teachers and middle school teachers as well to um, really look at where are you getting the information, who's putting out the information, and what's the research that they use as they were gathering the information. So it's really a rich opportunity for project-based learning that's authentic. Mm -hmm. I don't know if other teachers experience the same thing that I do. I, I get bored with doing the traditional lesson plans uh, again and again, and I'm always looking for new types of activities to do. And it's just the biomimicry approach to things seems like such a rich way to bring so many interdisciplinary pieces together and to have it as a project that that kids could do at, at almost any level, really. So let's jump over to, to Michelle. The website says that you are responsible for maintaining, expanding, and improving the Global Design Challenge and Launchpad programs. Uh, the launch, Launchpad program seems to be a little bit meant for new entrepreneurs, so maybe not as relevant for my teaching audience. But the Global Design Challenge, that provides an opportunity for university students and young professionals to gain hands-on experience with biomimicry to do design, not just study it. Um, so hands-on learning, doing, the education research has shown again and again that this is the way that deep, meaningful learning occurs. Would you be able to describe the Global Design Challenge and how university students could get involved, whether through a class, a club, or another student group? 
Yeah, absolutely, Brad. And I'll just uh, uh, right up at the top, I'll just mention that the Global Design Challenge and the Launchpad are, are really connected programs. Uh, the folks who go through our Global Design Challenge, it is a competition as the same as the Youth Design Challenge and uh, a group of finalists emerge. Um, we typically will choose 10 finalists from um, last year, we had 107 submissions, but then those finalists are invited to join the Launchpad program, which does teach entrepreneurship uh, to some degree, but, but really more the entrepreneurial mindset. And that's focused on leadership skills, um, deepening the biomimicry education, um, so they're, they're somewhat connected. Uh, but the Global Design Challenge is a program that's open to teams of university students, young professionals, globally, anywhere in the world. Uh, it has to be teams of at least two and no more than eight people. We encourage interdisciplinary teams. Um, we find that they produce the strongest um, submissions. So if you teams that, you know, pull together a biologist, an engineer, a designer, etc. Our registration for this, the 2021 challenge opened in mid-September and uh, submissions are due at the end of June. Um, again, like with the Youth Design Challenge, we try to tailor it to academic calendars um, because we have a global audience and uh, not all unit. We're dealing with both hemispheres. Uh, we have entries from all over the world, so it's not quite as tied to the the U.S. academic calendar. But it's it's that same project based. Uh, design process. So we've got uh, a collection of resources. Our design brief for 2021 is that we ask our participants to create a product system uh, or design um, that aligns with one or more of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and that also addresses uh, what we call the three essential elements of biomimicry. So it emulates something in nature and we see clearly how that, what that emulation is. It addresses what we call the ethos element or the, the really deep sustainability mindset um, that we promote in the practice of biomimicry and that there's some piece around reconnecting to nature. So either through the process of practicing biomimicry, um, going through this design process, identifying a problem, um, looking to how nature has already solved that problem, um, and, and then proposing your own design solution. Going through that process, did the participants reconnect to nature in some way? Or is there some aspect of their design that can help other people reconnect to nature? One of the primary tools that a lot of our design challenge participants use is our online database and search engine, um, Ask Nature. And that is a repository. Currently we have over 1700 biological strategies um, wow. that are on that website. And we are actively adding to that all the time. Uh, but essentially a, a designer, a student can go to asknature.org type in a function that they wanna solve for um, and up pops up a, a range of solutions, organisms in nature that have already solved that challenge. Um, if you'd rather just look and see what do 
you could enter an organism's name and also search that way. Within the, the Global Design Challenge, we provide a number of resources. Um, we have an eight-week syllabus so that a, a team can sort of go through the process following that syllabus. Uh, we do have a number of university faculty champions that include the Global Design Challenge in their coursework. So they have, they teach biomimicry, bio-inspired design, their students produce a project that they then enter into the challenge. So folks can come at it in a number of different ways. Can you recall one of the, the recent winners of the, of the design challenge and, and what that looked like? This past year, let's see, I've worked closely with the last two cohorts of finalists. So we don't, um, we don't designate a first, second place, uh, first, second, third place winners for the Global Design Challenge, but we have the uh, 10 finalists. And I'll say this past year, we had a group of graduate students from the Maryland, I'm not going to remember the, it's MICA. They designed in their community, they saw that there was a food insecurity issue, a food security issue. And so they designed an app and a platform. Uh, they looked to the relationship uh, in the Chesapeake forest between white oaks and uh, the mycorrhizal fungi that are in the soil that connect all of the trees within this forest um, and this process by which a tree that is in a, a, a great spot, say, that can sequester a lot of resources, gets good access to water, sunlight, um, might be able to transfer some of its excess sugars that it produces through this fungal network that's below the soil surface to other trees in the forest that are more resource limited. And so they, they really took that process to heart and designed an app and a web platform for connecting food insecure individuals and communities with uh, those who are producing excess food to, to try and deal with just the food security issue. They were called My Oak Public Market. <laughs> uh, really, really inspiring team. And I loved that solution. It was different than some of the, the solutions we see are much, you know, much more about emulating a form that they see in nature. This really looked at deep interconnections and processes. I love that one of the kind of the major ideas is it's not just creating these solutions, but it's, you know, have the participants actually connected with nature. And, and I think we have a, a book on my bookshelf at home called vitamin N. So it's all about, you know, getting yeah. back to nature, getting people out there. And it's better for us as people to be, to be out in nature and to be uh, not always cooped up at our little computers here. Right. It has a, a restorative uh, properties that were, you know, you almost don't, you're not aware of them until you're not outside in nature. Then you go back outside for a walk and you just feel your um, body naturally making adjustments that it needed to make that you might not even be aware of. We spend so much time um, indoors. In fact, uh, Brad, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that for the youth design challenge, there are, um, it's 22 lessons and activities that scaffold and help support educators. Um, so if they're wanting to do this, they're not without a curriculum. I'm, I'm not sure if I had um, pointed that out before. So I wanted to make sure that, that that is known, that there are supports there that will move the students from activity to activity and help deepen their understanding. They 
They look at past winners. They try to come up with the ideas of what they think biomimicry is before they're introduced to the concept of what biomimicry is for our understanding uh, today. And so I just want to make sure everybody knows that that's available. And of course, a lot of the lessons or activities that start at the beginning of it is around uh, reconnection, like uh, Michelle was saying, them just getting out in nature and seeing what they're interested in as they're outside noticing and listening, and then starting to go from the learning about looking at the function of some of the organisms out in nature to learning from. So, yeah, it's really, you know, I, th I think during this time where we are spending so much time on the computer and indoors, and feeling isolated and disconnected from one another in a certain sense, I think it's really important to see that this that we are um, we exist within this larger system, and then there are all these smaller systems that we could be learning from. I really like that um, example, Michelle. It's a beautiful one. No, thank you. Oh, that's that's great to hear that these resources are available. You know, we we teachers are always. You know, it's hard to teach something new. It's hard to get into something new when we don't understand it ourselves. And and I know I talk a lot about this on my episodes where we we teachers need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable in order to bring new ideas into the classroom to explore along with the students. But to have that scaffolding available, it makes it that much more accessible for us to to try to then go ahead and do that exploration with our students. Yeah, um, so you've talked about a couple of the the programs that both of you work with. Are are there other ways that interested educators could get in touch with the the institute and and other things that kind of off the top of your head that um, are resources that they could take advantage of? Absolutely. Um, certainly, you can reach out to us at info at biomimicry.org with specific questions. But I also often. Um, recommend folks check out our biomimicry toolbox. Um, it's one of our resources that we've developed here that kind of can take an individual, an educator, um, an interested person through the process of biomimicry design. So just toolbox.biomimicry.org. And then, you know, just exploring both of the, the youth and the global design challenge sites, we have curated a large number of resources, both the, the curriculum, the curricula, the syllabus, um, and then a number of other sustainable design, et cetera, resources there. Right. And, you know, um, Brad, to speak to your point about being a little hesitant to uh, start something new with the students, it's really so important right now, especially in education, that we, we talk about student engagement, but we also have to have educator engagement. And so um, going around talking to different educator groups, this kind of reignites their passion for education mm -hmm. because it allows them to really deeply explore different organisms or ideas that they are interested in. And so that's a really important facet of, of education right now for us to realize we have our our personal life and our professional life and that that we can draw from one from the other, leverage the excitement and passion engagement from one to the other um, to really continue learning. Because um, all of us, even at the Biomimicry Institute, we're constantly learning about these new ideas and processes and understanding organisms in a different way. So, but it keeps the it, it keeps the goal in front of us and it makes it really exciting. If you can look back at a human problem or in any way help with suffering or, you know, do anything that's uh, life affirming and building uh, the principles. That, well, we won't get into that, but if you can do that through, uh, <laughs> um, through biomimicry, it really makes at the end of the day worth it. All of the 
you know, the time we have to spend on Zoom and the in the planning and and I think too um, also a lot of these things can be done. I know we're in a time where we talk about synchronous and asynchronous learning. So just want to throw um, that out there that because um, this is programs that allow for greater student agency, that there's a lot of flexibility in the approach. And so even if it's not available during the time that people are interacting with their with their students, it can still be something that they're coached through as an aside to curriculums or supplemental program until they really learn how to get their feet under them and um, embed it in their instruction in a different way. There's been so many great things that we've talked about today. And uh, all I can say is folks listening, go check out biomimicry.org and check out the website, check out some of these different programs that we've talked about, see all the different resources and and know that they're, the Institute's going to be there to to help out and to be part of bringing uh, bringing this this way of solving problems to the world. So, uh, I want to thank both of you for taking time to speak with me today and to to share with uh, all the physics teachers and other teachers who are listening. Thank you so much, Brad, and thanks uh, thanks to your listeners. Please do check us out. Right, the time is now, friends. The world is ready for biomimicry. <laughs> yes, <laughs> awesome. it is. All right, thank you. So, what do you think? Are you ready to dive into the Biomimicry Institute's resources? This was quite outside of the usual physics conversations I have, either with colleagues in person or even on this podcast so far. But like Rosanna said toward the end of the episode, there is an opportunity here to not only challenge students to learn science and create solutions to actual real-world problems, but also to keep us educators fresh and inspired. A little background to how I discovered this topic. My wife Lena, who I eventually have to pull into one of my episodes, introduced me to the topic when she was teaching some biology courses in 2014. I can't quite remember how she came upon it, but as she excitedly shared these ideas with me, we both marveled at the intersection between physics and biology. The following year, I had a chance to teach a college-level, junior-senior level course that I called Biomechanics, Structure and Motion. I used Stephen Vogel's textbook, Comparative Biomechanics, which was a fantastic exploration of structural physics and fluid physics. In this course, I made it a point to spend a week exploring major themes of biomimicry, and then two projects on biomimicry. For the first project, I set the students loose to explore a published solution and report it to the class. For the final class project, students had a few options, but one of them was to design their own solution to a problem based on applying one of nature's principles that they discovered on asknature.com or something like that. This wasn't nearly as involved as these challenges that Rosanna and Michelle discussed. They just got to hang out in the pencil and paper exploration phase. But my students, nonetheless, really got into both of these projects and were fascinated by both the solutions that have evolved in nature and the ways we humans have applied those solutions to material products and design challenges. Go check out biomimicry.org to see all of the stories, resources, and programs that the Biomimicry Institute has to share. I've provided links in the show notes to anything that was mentioned by my guests in today's episode, including the specific examples, finalists from the challenges, and physical resources that can be used in the classroom. You can find the show notes either on your podcast app or by checking out physicsalive.com slash biomimicry. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so that you can stay up to date with each episode as it comes out. You can also find updates at Physics Alive on Twitter and Physics Alive page on Facebook. I also just started a blog. You can find this at physicsalive.com slash blog. Now that the Kingfisher has been officially introduced in this episode, I think it's time to write a little bit more about why I chose this lovely bird for my logo. 
Thanks again for listening in, and I hope you've been inspired to try something new. Your homework assignment? Find a nice, quiet spot in nature to sit for five minutes. Close your eyes, take some deep breaths, settle in, and then look around you. Look at the wonderful tapestry that is the natural world, and see if you can hone in on a few of the solutions that nature has explored. Please join me again for the next episode of Physics Alive. Until then, let nature inspire and be well.